0: To a novel evening, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books, and welcome to a novel evening. Um, hopefully, by now you are aware of what this podcast is about. But if you're brand new, um, this is the podcast where I chat with authors and bookstagrammers uh, all about their fantasy fictional dinner party. Uh, and for this episode, I'm going to be joined by Eleanor Shearer. Uh, her debut novel, River Sing Me Home, I, I've just finished it and It's it's an absolute killer. Um it's a beautiful, beautiful novel about a woman looking for her children, um just her five children who have survived, who have been sold, who've been taken from her, who she's looking to reunite with, um, as a mother myself. It just incredible, just an incredible read, very moving beautifully written i cannot recommend it enough um and i'm so so excited and grateful to be able to chat with her all about this novel and to check out her novel evening a huge hello to eleanor hello Hi. You're looking very cozy. I can see you're getting like you look snuggled up in your study. It's it's freezing, right?
1: It is absolutely freezing. I've got my Christmas jumper on, it says jolly in sequins on it because I'm feeling Christmassy <laughs> in the cold.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love how we're just like, if we just put it in sequins, then we'll feel it. <laughs> Even when we're yes. freezing to death. But yeah. Thank you so so much for coming to chat with me. As I've just said, I have just finished the book. I am absolutely I mean, I don't even know where to be in because I've I've I probably look pretty grim because I just finished it in the bath <laughs> and I've been crying. Uh so for anyone who has not seen this, it's coming out in January. River Sing Me Home. Oh my goodness. It's firstly, it's beautiful.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> it's
0: so beautiful. It's so well written. Um, and I don't want to give too much away for people who are gonna read it, um, because I really think it's a book you need to experience. But tell me a bit, in your words, tell us about the book.
1: Yes so River Sing Me Home is set in the Caribbean just after the abolition of slavery and it's about a woman Rachel who's going trying to find the children that were stolen from her and sold to different plantations and we know that there really were women that did this that tried to put their families back together after slavery ended so it's not inspired by a a single woman but it's inspired by the true stories of the people who did that.
0: Oh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. It's, and I would say, you know, it's a strong, impactful story and, you know, testament to you You don't shy away from the pain that's being experienced, but it's also a story with a lot of light in it and a lot of beauty in it. Did you kind of feel a, like a weight on your shoulders as you were writing this?
1: Yes and no. So the, I really appreciate you saying that you felt like it had its, its light moments too, because It was very deliberate. I mean, the book literally starts with Rachel leaving her plantation. I very much wanted this to be a story that's not about slavery, but is about what comes after. And I have a huge amount of time and respect for art that is kind of facing the brutality of slavery head on. I think it's very important, but I knew that I didn't want to write a book like that. I think I would have found it too traumatic. So this was always going to be something that obviously slavery casts a huge shadow over the book and uh, I didn't want to shy away from what the characters had been through but I also wanted it to be hopeful and to be redemptive so whilst it wasn't always easy delving back into this history you know I'm of mixed race heritage I've got a family in the Caribbean so this is what my ancestors went through but also wanting to shed light on all the ways in which within this system of brutality people still had human moments connection love family uh, so that was uplifting to write as well as um, the, the more difficult parts.
0: There are some truly there's some truly really beautiful moments you know I'm a mother myself of two very young children and you know there were points that were really difficult to read but also points that are so moving and that as a mother and you know as a woman really spoke to me and it's the idea as one well of the very different lives that are being led in these pages as well through all these characters I mean in terms of research you know how much of these characters were based on people that you kind of read about so I
1: most of the characters in the story have names that are really names that I found from the historical records Uh, that was something that was quite important to me so uh, a lot of the slave registers um where planters in the caribbean would have to record the names of the slaves on their plantations those are available digitally online so whenever i had a character that i needed to find a name for i would kind of go through those and i would um try and find something that matched so even characters with quite unusual names like there's a character called nobody that is a a real name from the slave registers uh and rachel's main children i think most if not all of them their names are printed in a memorial that I went to in Barbados at the University of the West Indies that's a, again from the slave registers just this quite moving list of um, names of uh, slaves in the registers at uh, the year that um, freedom was granted so in terms of drawing names out of the historical record that was quite important to me and then I did start the book with a set of um, circumstances in mind that I wanted to shed light on so again without giving too much away but resistance to slavery is a big theme in the novel and whatever form that took whether it was rebellions and uprisings whether it was running away and forming these communities in remote parts of the Caribbean mountains rainforests I wanted to show characters doing that and um, so those are all drawn from real life and real stories of Caribbean resistance.
0: Oh it's incredible it truly is and I mean you know you've said you obviously you visited and you can really feel the level of Firstly, research, but also love and care that you've put into this story. It really resonates. And I'm not just saying that, you know, when you pick it up and you read it, I you forgot that I'm reading fictional, you know, characters because you made them feel real.
1: Oh, I so appreciate that. And I did, I really wanted the book to have a kind of oral history quality to it. So part of my research, it wasn't really a research process for the novel because I did this master's. And then it was only afterwards that I realized I'd. <laughs> inadvertently helped support a novel idea that I'd had for a while but um I did my master's in politics on the legacy of slavery in the Caribbean and as part of that I was interviewing a lot of people out there family activists historians and I really wanted the novel to have this oral history feel to it there's a lot of you know characters that come along for a chapter or two maybe but almost giving them space to tell a story and you realize that although you're following Rachel and her journey and you get quite a lot of um, some of the characters that come along with her on that journey, every character I wanted you to realise that even if you only encounter them for a few sentences, there's so much else going on there and everyone is leading a life as rich as Rachel's and as full of... nuance and that's I think something that you don't always get to see within the history books because obviously these are people that didn't leave written written records behind so it was really important to me to bring to life um, the history of the Caribbean in that way.
0: Oh I definitely feel that you feel like you could go like you say and even the the smaller characters you feel like you could listen to their stories as well you find yourself wondering well, what did what was that person's life after this this brief moment that we meet them what happened next which I think is is so beautiful and, and again as well for me, you know, in a lot of ways I am woefully ignorant um, and it's definitely been a really insightful read for me, but also the idea of, of passing as well is in the pages and to read the differences in the lives that were being led through these communities based on how fair your skin was as well and how impactful that was, you know, do you find when you were kind of researching that, was that something that you also wanted to make sure you conveyed?
1: Yeah, so I um, am pretty fair-skinned. I pass for white in most contexts. And so I. it's obviously a subject that's very close to my heart and something I've thought a lot about. And actually, there's a history within my family. My um, grandmother, my mother's mother, was also very fair-skinned, and she was the fairest of her sisters she was one of six sisters and so she was the one who was actually singled out for a better life she was born in this village in st lucia called canaries but then she was taken to the capital and educated and she was going to have this life where she could become a companion to a um a relative who was also fair skinned and then maybe slowly climb the the social ladder of um skin color in the caribbean but she met and fell in love with my grandfather who was very dark skinned and they eloped um wow. so <laughs> Yeah, we have that. Um, so yeah, we have that history in my family of um, the way that you look and how that means that you're treated and the opportunities that are afforded to you because of that. So yeah, I also knew it, it's such a complicated thing, right? The the, the legacy of passing and um, it's a difficult choice to make and it's a choice that I don't think everyone understands. And certainly I myself find it quite difficult to understand as someone who's made this very active choice to embrace my heritage and not want to kind of cut Ties with my family I can't imagine what that would be like but I had to recognize that it was a form of freedom and the novel is all about the different ways in which you can be free so I knew that I would have to include a character making that choice however difficult that choice was.
0: One of my favorite characters as well uh, again without wanting to give anything away but is is Hope. Uh, mm. She is she's a character that I absolutely fell in love with and again I was really curious because as I say you know my knowledge is is not fantastic but she's such an incredible woman in that she's found this, this way to survive. I think for a lot of us, even now, we would read and have, you know, passing judgments on. Mm. But uh, so tell us a bit about Hope. It, you know, where did you kind of refine her from? Where did she come from as a character?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I definitely wanted uh, a character quite early in the story that shows Rachel at a time when she has spent so long on this plantation kind of making herself small imagining that there's no other way to be because you can't possibly hope that anything could be different otherwise you wouldn't be able to survive it and so she's finally left that those conditions she's finally allowing herself to dare to dream that she might find her some of her children again might be able to make a kind of freedom for herself uh, and so I wanted a character quite early on who was both quite sure of herself and had as you say carved out this space for her in the world in a way that was quite unapologetic even though the work that she's doing the sex work that she's doing as you say many people would pass judgment on especially even for now. the time
0: period yeah you know, especially yeah and she's she's complete um, unapologetic is the perfect the perfect way to describe her I think
1: yes um so I I, I wanted to show someone like that but I also uh, it was funny so I, I, I write my novels chronologically I write them from beginning wow. to end uh, and then I go back and edit and usually the first chunk is quite bad and it needs to be edited because it takes you a while to get into the story but one of the things with with Rachel and her character I mean she's um she's quiet she's cautious she's watchful it could be easy for her to come across as a bit passive and I took a while to sort of find her character and be able to convey it on the page and actually it was a a scene between her and hope early in the book that i finally was able to articulate this is what she is and this is what she's doing because it's a scene where rachel is talking to hope actually brushing her hair and hope's having a real moment of, of vulnerability sharing her story with rachel and it's something like that rachel says that um she admires hope and her kind of hard edges and sharp sense of herself but that can't be Rachel because she's had to let pieces of herself go to survive and be more fluid and a little bit more flexible with her sense of self so I think whilst hope is uh in some ways a model for Rachel of what what could be it's also a reminder to Rachel of the fact that there are different choices and every choice comes with its costs and its consequences so that was what I wanted her to do in the early parts of the novel. And that's where she came from.
0: Oh, it, it's such, you can feel it's such a labour of love, this book. Um, you can feel that. But I guess I have to ask that, you know, your book is due out in January, which is super, super exciting. <laughs> fact, by the time this comes out, your book might be already out in the world, which is just absolutely incredible. But what comes next for you? Because you can feel that this is a real love project. So what comes next? How do you follow that
1: up? it's a great question and one that's live and being grappled with at the moment so um I'm lucky to have a two-book contract so I'm working on a second book at the moment with my publishers but it is so strange to go from something that's not just a labour of love but also such an individual thing I mean I really sat with this book the idea with I sat with the idea for a very long time and then I was writing my draft and that was very private and I didn't show very many people and then Suddenly you get an agent and an editor and everyone's signing up to the vision of a book that's complete. So you're all on the same page. And then suddenly going from that to this process where everyone's got skin in the game, everyone's got things that they want to contribute and help shape your career. And so it's wonderful in that it's a lot less lonely, but it's difficult if you... Are used to the kind of complete creative freedom to work on a first novel. So I am currently in the very early stages of working on a, a new idea that's also kind of historical fiction to do with what it means to be free, what it means to find home in the era of slavery, a similar time period. Um, so Yes, that's all I'll say for now because it's still such early days. But um, I'm very, very excited to get the chance to do this again because I really do love writing. I love writing books.
0: <laughs> it's really interesting because I've had this conversation with a fair few authors now about the kind of the, the book two process and how different it is, you know, because your first one is you never know if anyone's going to read it. Like you say, you mm. sit with the idea, you play with it, you research it. You kind of you either do it around your work, or you're doing it mm. in evenings or... And suddenly it's a whole different thing, isn't it? The expectations are different. People will read it. I'm sure people will read it. You know, they're going to, you know, it's, I think it's really interesting for people who listen as well and and do write, I write. Um, It's interesting to hear the idea of, you know, how it varies.
1: Mm,
0: Because I think people have this idea of like, oh, you've done your first book, you're being published. Oh, ideas must just come to you like this (laughs) and you just fire out these books. And actually I think the pressure is completely different.
1: Yes. And, uh, but in some ways, I I don't know if this is reassuring or depressing, but the the core of the activity remains the same. I think that's the thing that really surprised me is that it doesn't necessarily get easier or harder. So I remember starting out this first book and I, as I say, I write chronologically. So I had this idea, I had the rough shape of the story and I started writing and I just thought, what happens if I write 10,000 words and then I'm just done that's, you know, that's not anything. That's not a short story. It's not, it's maybe a novella, but what will I do? And then, starting on a new project despite the fact despite the fact that I've proved to myself I can write a book-length work of fiction I still have exactly the same anxieties I find myself on the exact same emotional roller coaster where in the beginning you're super excited and enthused and you think this is great and then suddenly you hit the miserable one-third mark and you think it's the worst thing that anyone's ever written and then you kind of crawl your way through the middle of the book and then you're coming out the other side and you think actually maybe maybe this is quite good maybe it might win prizes and then you go crashing back into another pit of despair so <laughs> it's in a way it's, it's it's nice to be able to step outside yourself and say I've been through this before I know that this is just the process and you've just got to ride it out but um yeah the core of the activity doesn't change that much even if lots around it in terms of having your editor and your agent agent, um, feed into the process. At the end of the day, it's you and your Word document and trying and failing to come up with good sentences.
0: I mean, look, I mean, based on what I have just read, I don't think you have any issue with coming up with good sentences. (laughs) Um, Honestly, it's an absolutely stunning book. I'm sure it's going to do incredibly. Um, I can already think of so many people that I know that I need to be like, you need to read this because they would absolutely love it. Um, And now I'm going to ask you about your novel evening. And honestly, Mm -hmm. some people come on and I'm like, oh, I have a rough idea. I have no idea what to expect with your evening. So no pressure (laughs) at all. Um, I'm not even going to try and guess. So I think to start with, we need to ask where we're going.
1: Yes, so it's funny you say you have no idea what to expect. Um, I do have quite eclectic taste in lots of things, I would say. I mean, my my Spotify wrapped is an absolute disaster zone. Oh, mine was very upsetting.
0: <laughs> mine was probably influenced. I say it's influenced by my children because there was a lot of Ed Sheeran on there. And I was like, oh, my kids love Ed Sheeran. It's nothing to do with me. <laughs> but yeah, my Spotify wrapped is exactly the same. It's just a mess.
1: Yeah, chaos. And my bookshelves are the same. So um, Ooh. I thought to myself... I've picked an eclectic cast of characters for this evening so why not go for a slightly wacky location so our, we are going to uh, Macondo which is the name of the village in uh, 100 years of solitude by um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez Ooh. and uh, it's a magical realist novel um, strange and fantastical things happen so given I thought we're bringing together the most random group of people why yep. not add an element of, of magic into the mix to make the evening even one why not?
0: I mean there is absolutely no argument against doing that uh <laughs> if you're gonna do it yeah I love that I love it. and describe the village to me I haven't read this book so describe to me what the setting is like.
1: So it's in the kind of middle of the rainforest in um I think it's Colombia it's a kind of um, a Latin American location yeah. and um the novel centers around this uh, gen- multiple generations of this family that founded this um town uh so almost there are probably some very literary people that would absolutely kill me for this comparison but I don't know if you've seen Encanto I think (laughs) you can definitely picture Encanto vibes um, with my deepest apologies to the spirit of Gabriel Garcia (laughs) Marquez
0: as soon as you said that I have children I'm familiar with the work of Encanto um, but I can imagine you know I can hear the rainforest you know yeah. I can hear the the creatures at night yes um I can yeah I can get the vibes um, <laughs> okay. As soon as you said encounter, I was like, mm-hmm, "I see it now." <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, but yeah. yeah, this sounds beautiful. Who doesn't want to have a novel evening in like a rainforest?
1: Yes, good weather, warm. Like I say, occasionally strange and magical things will happen that at least provide you with a, a little bit of a. If the conversation is getting stilted, you suddenly something, something magic will happen, and yeah,
0: and good food, right? There's bound to yes. be good food yes. and good, you know, alcoholic beverages because there's yes. always yeah, okay. I like this, I like this a lot. So let's start off with your first guest.
1: First guest. So I, I, I've kind of split my guests into categories. Cause like I say, there's there's very little that coheres them but there are at least categories for me. I've been quite selfish in designing this night because I thought number one, who would it be really cool to meet? Yeah. Number two, who could I learn from?
0: Ooh. Number
1: three, who'd be good fun? And number four, who's going to put me at ease and be a generally nice and kind of supportive presence. So like I said, I don't think these categories are going to get on that well with each other, but I am going to have a good time sitting between the four groups.
0: That's all that matters. And I like (laughs) that you've thought this through. Those are all very good reasons to invite people to a party. (laughs) Um,
1: So my first category of who would it be incredible to meet? So I've slightly cheated here in terms of I am drawing from fiction, but as I love historical fiction, I love historical fiction with real people at the centre. Yeah. I've got a I've got a couple of of real figures here That's that fun. are real historical figures, but I'm saying kind of as imagined by particular writers. Um, so as a double act, Thomas Cromwell and Anne Boleyn, as ma- as imagined by Hilary Mantel, I think would be um yeah. incredible.
0: <laughs> I mean. Straight away, I love Wolf Hall. Both of those characters oh, are absolutely incredible. Um, I'm a big Anne Boleyn fan in all of her <laughs> incarnations as well. However, she comes, I'll take her. But that is a particularly excellent, you know, characterization of her. Yeah. And can you imagine her in that setting? I think she'd be amazing.
1: I think, yeah, she'd be phenomenal. I think both of them have a, an incredible sort of adaptability to them and a, a cleverness to them that I think, despite the fact that some of these people on the list are from a very different time period, very different context. They'd be very confused as to what the, what's yeah. going on, but I think they would both roll with it. And I think they'd make an evening of it. And I think they'd make allies. And by the end, you'd realize that they were the people that had somehow got the most out of the evening.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I, and I think they're both very adaptable people. Yes. Definitely. I think, and you know, they are well-bred. They're used to, you know, social scenarios Yes. I think yeah. that, as soon as you said their names, I was like, yes, I like this <laughs> already. Okay. <laughs> I can see why you've invited them. And also, I mean, what, what a book that is. We'll oh, it. It's just phenomenal. Incredible. Phenomenal.
1: Um, so. so next, uh, this is the the third person, the final person in this, who would it be cool to meet real historical figures? Yeah. Um, this is a lesser known one. Um, so Toussaint Louverture, who was a leader of the Haitian revolution, um, which was this uh, revolution in uh, what is now Haiti, what back then was Saint-Domingue, which is a uh, French colony. And um, it's the first, it's the only successful slave revolution. And the um, they founded the first independent black republic outside of Africa in the 1790s and early 1800s. And Toussaint Louverture was the kind of enigmatic figure at the heart of the revolution. He was... Um, He wrote a lot. He left behind these huge stores of letters. He was very learned. He spoke French. He clearly drew a lot of inspiration from the French Revolution. But at the same time, he was very... Rooted in his African heritage, a lot of the symbolism around him drew inspiration from voodoo, which was the local religion that drew on West African traditions. Um, He was also very strongly Catholic. He's basically just a fascinating, fascinating man at the centre of this huge historical moment. And um, there's a great book. It's not fiction, but it is wonderful. Uh, called The Black Jacobins by a um, Caribbean writer called C.L.R. James uh, that tells the story of the Haitian Revolution and was sort of the first book to bring it to Western mainstream historical attention. Uh, Love that book, love C.L.R. James's work love and, f- and fascinated by the haitian revolution and just think it would be amazing to meet him by all accounts he was a very intense man he slept like two hours a night he could ride across the island in a single day he's called the centaur of the savannah and um, oh so i'm not sure exactly what kind of vibe he's bringing to the party but nevertheless interesting to meet
0: <laughs> i mean i would say like no. firstly he sounds very intense you're also bringing this you know very intense catholic you know Rebellious character <laughs> with Anne Boleyn and yes. Thomas Cromwell, who are also rebels in their own way. So there could be some fireworks, not necessarily yes. bad fireworks, there could be some really interesting debates.
1: Yeah, um, sparks may well fly, but um, I'm going to enjoy the show.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's just one to watch. I <laughs> hope <laughs> don't get involved.
1: Yes. um So that's my who would be interesting to meet. Love then it. who I want to learn from. I've got a couple of of writers here where I just think I love their work and I just want to absorb, like, how they do it, basically. Um, And the two writers are Toni Morrison and Annie Proulx, um, both absolute titans in their own right. So Toni Morrison, obviously, I feel like anyone who wants to write about Black history, forgotten Black history, is standing on her shoulders. I mean, she was doing it like no one else was. And I absolutely love her work. Um, Beloved is one of my favourite novels. It's one of those. I'm a, I'm a re-reader. I know not everyone is, but I really love novels that you can return to again and again and always get it's something out It's a comfort really thing as well.
0: Yeah. When you've got something like that, like you say, you can always go back to it and it's like you're reading it for the first time again.
1: Yes. And I'm always fascinated as well by the way that sort of certain images and moments stay with you, even as you can read the story and not always know exactly what's going to happen next but you suddenly come to a moment you're like yes I remember this clearly because it's such a strong image um like in Beloved it's uh the moment where Sithu, the main character shrugs off her dress and shows the fact that she's got these scars on her back and I always remember that moment um so Tony Morrison I mean it would be incredible and Annie Prue, who's the um author of uh Brokeback Mountain the short story and also the shipping news and uh, one of my favourite novels of all time which is called Bark Skins which is this great sweeping epic multi-generational through um, from the 16th century to the modern day and it follows kind of The forest is almost a main character because it's all about these generations of families and their relation to the forest. One character, his descendants become lumber merchants. So they're kind of complicit in the destruction of the American forests. But then the other character marries a Native American woman. His descendants are Native American and they're part of the people being victimized by that destruction. And it's the way that she writes about the natural world, particularly in that book, is just incredible and yeah I want to sit them both both down I want to pick their brains and um I don't know what they'll make of uh, as you say the fireworks going on in the Ooh. corner between Anne Boleyn and <laughs> Thomas Cromwell and uh but I'm sure they'll we'll I, all have
0: a good time. I think they could hold their own to be fair yes. I think you know I think it'll be okay they'd be okay okay I love this this is, and these are such good reasons for having these people here as well. <laughs> So I'm loving it. So what was your next category?
1: Next category is um, who would be good fun? Oh, I think
0: we need some of that because we've got yes, very intense. We-
1: yes got very intense and actually maybe it says something about the kind of novels that I read but I was only able to come up with one person for this category but I think I think they'll I think they'll bring a little something a little something to the party and that's um Lizzie Bennett from Pride and Prejudice I mean who wouldn't want Lizzie Bennett at a party I just think she's phenomenal witty I think again with that quality of being able to adapt and come up with clever responses and um, retorts to any kind of conversation I think she'll be able to hold her own I think there are some people particularly well
0: would do very well actually yeah you know what I think they would (laughs) I think they get on all right. I, yeah. I, I see where you're going with that choice.
1: Yeah. Um. So Lizzie Bennet, I mean, Pride and Prejudice, what can I say? A great book. I think I studied it at school and it was one of the first kind of classics where I remember approaching it with all this trepidation, like, oh my yeah. God, I'm going to have to study this book. And then whipping through it in like two days because it was just so readable. And I know that probably sounds very kind of um unlearned of me to say, but it, it, it I genuinely was blown away. It was that kind of moment where it really clicked for me that some of the, don't get me wrong, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, but some of the classics are stuffy and I don't, I don't enjoy them and they are a slog, but some of them are, you know, really uh, hold their own up to this day and are um, incredibly, incredibly gripping.
0: <laughs> and that's one of them, absolutely yes. agree with that. Okay, and what was your last category?
1: Final category is people that are going to put me at ease and yeah. there are two in this category uh, again quite different quite different um but one is um from a recent novel that i've read and loved and one is from a kind of an, an old favorite yeah. so the recent one is um tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by um Gabrielle Zevin. Uh, I keep which is, this everywhere. Oh, it is phenomenal. You absolutely have to read it. It's um, I picked it up in an airport on the way to the Caribbean, actually. I was back there oh. back in um September. And I read it in one sitting on the flight, and at one point was crying so much that my sister who was sitting behind me leaned between the seats and said, Are you all right? Because <laughs> I'm just so completely captured by this novel. Um but there's a character in that called Marx, who is um, just seems like the world's loveliest man, the world's most charming man, just like doing everything between these two quite spiky main characters. He's kind of the third in their triads, and he really brings out the best of both of them and is able to bridge the gap between them even when they're having a difficult time so again for this kind of party where you've got a lot of characters a lot of weird energies yeah. bouncing around I think that kind of smoother over and just very charming able to deal with anything that kind of you person would be an asset yeah, yeah. I completely
0: agree completely yeah. agree with that you need someone who's gonna be able to just kind of calm things down a little bit if needed yes, definitely um, and works. then
1: finally last but not least one of my all-time favorites so Uh, Small Island by Andrea Levy. Andrea Levy is one of my real writing heroes. I mean, obviously writing about Caribbean history, but particularly the way that she's doing what I'm hoping to do in my work, which is tell a story that doesn't flinch from the horrors of, in her case, you know, the racism experienced by the Windrush generation that we know very well in my family, my grandparents were Windrush. But um, it's also very warm and hopeful and uplifting. And um, Gilbert in Small Island, who's the... um, man uh, who the man in the couple who come over from Jamaica he's just such a lovely man Uh, goes through so much but always has a, a spring in his step a note of optimism and I just think that if something had gone horribly wrong in the evening someone had said something cruel to me or I was just having that host syndrome where you're terrified that not everyone's having a good time Gilbert would calm me down he'd know exactly what to say he'd bring a touch of humor to the situation so I knew I wanted Gilbert on my list.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. And also, he deserves a nice evening. He does. He does. He
1: really went through yeah. it. So he deserves it.
0: He does. He deserves a nice night with, you know, Anne Boleyn. And... <laughs> 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 that. Oh, I really love this. And I feel like it feels like a very warm evening, despite there being some, you know, potential... <laughs> some characters. wires, yeah. yeah,
1: some chaos, but that's fine.
0: With some nice wine and some, you know, I think it would be quite a nice evening. Once yeah, I hope so. And yeah. And I always ask, is there anybody you don't want to come to your evening?
1: Yes, there is. Um, I, it it was hard for me to think about this actually because I am someone who who loves a villain. I love an antihero. So I was like, in terms of many of your classic, just like, oh, that person's not very nice. Often I'm rooting secretly for that character in a, in a book. So <laughs> a lot of them would be very welcome, the the classic villains. But actually in terms of kind of classic novels studied at school that I did not get on with. um, I had the most wonderful English teacher called Mr. Douglas. He's in my acknowledgements for the book. He, you know, sparked in me a love of literature but he was working with terrible source material because we were studying a catcher in the rye which I dislike very strenuously so Holden Caulfield is not invited he's (laughs) Lars he's off the list he can't come in
0: I really feel for English teachers who get given like the driest stuff to teach there's so much good literature out there and I just really feel I remember we had of mice and men which Mm. I really did not enjoy and I had an amazing <laughs> teacher as well and I remember thinking oh if you just had something really like you can get your teeth into
1: yeah I mean we did we did Jane Eyre after that so okay. it wasn't all it wasn't all bad and I loved Jane Eyre but um and to be fair I think at least with The Catcher in the riot, I wasn't bored and I remember one of the first essays I wrote for him it was like pages and pages of basically this diatribe like I had a strong emotional reaction to this book it was just a negative reaction so at least it was drawing something (laughs) out of me I wasn't just bored
0: yeah Yeah. I think sometimes like you say a a strong reaction it doesn't have to be a positive essay yeah (laughs) it doesn't have to be like why should you read Catching the Right it can't be this is what you shouldn't
1: (laughs) yes exactly so yeah I'm a Holden Caulfield hater um he's not he's not allowed on my evening (laughs) very
0: fair very fair indeed. And I think you've picked a perfect evening, actually. Oh, thank you. Um Encanto will forever be stuck in my brain. <laughs> uh, but I, I love it. Um and before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your your Monday evening, are you reading anything at the moment?
1: I am, I am. I am reading The Sympathizer by Viet Tan Muen. Um it uh won the Pulitzer Prize a few years ago now. I don't know exactly when it came out. Um and it's this kind of um it's literary fiction, but with a kind of spy novel twist, which is unusual for me. I'm not a I'm not a reader of of spy novels generally, but it's about this um, communist sleeper agent. Uh, so it starts off in the the Vietnam War, the fall of um, Vietnam to the communists, and then this character ends up in America, uh, but he's secretly working for the communists the whole time. Um, but it's this incredible novel about. Um, the history of Vietnam and the Vietnam war, something I didn't know a huge amount about it's uh, incredibly strong on race and migration and identity in America. And I'm absolutely loving it. I've got about a hundred pages to go. I'm very much looking forward to curling up with it and my cup of tea in the cold winter evening and uh, hopefully finishing it this evening.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so, so much. This has been an absolute joy to get to chat with you. River Sydney home. It's amazing. Everyone needs to read it. It's going to do phenomenally. Like I have absolutely no doubt we're going to see it all over Bookstagram. Uh, And good luck with it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been a delight to come on and chat to you.
0: Enjoyed that, honestly. (laughs)